Father, we just come to you today and uh, as we look at this uh, first chapter of Genesis and this first day of creation, Lord, where you took the earth and uh, that was uh, without form and void and you begin to form it into the beautiful planet that it is, Lord. And uh, to do that, you brought light upon this earth. And it's such a picture, Lord, of, of what you've done in our own personal lives, how you've taken your light and brought your light into a place where there was no light, a, a light we don't see, Lord, with our visible eyes, but a light that we know is there, the very light of God, your light, your life, Lord, your truth, your righteousness, your love. All of that is wrapped up in, in the, uh, who you are, and we're so grateful that you've come into our lives and you've changed us and made us uh, new creations in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to... Uh, Look at this text today. Lord, if we're living in darkness, if there's not light, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, and, and Lord, they know about you, and they know they come to church, and they know about your Bible, but they've never really received that light, Lord, let today be the day that they open their hearts and souls to allow you to come in and fill their souls with this truth and this love and this righteousness that, that uh, comes with joy and peace, uh, that passes understanding. So, Lord, I just ask that you teach us these valuable lessons today and that you do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Okay, we'll be in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we'll, be, we'll get back to verse number 1 today. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been introducing the book of Genesis, and we've been looking at these foundational truths and how Genesis is a book of foundational truths. And uh, uh, we've also made a case for a, a literal seven-day, 24-hour day creation. We believe that here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, and uh, I think we've got a good reason to believe that. Uh, so uh, as we come to, to uh, back to Genesis, I want to pick back up in uh, verse number one. And so I had a couple of people come up to me after church uh, last week and uh, we may, I'm making this case for uh, a literal 24-hour, uh, seven-day creation. And, and they told me, you know, I agree with that. I agree that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. But isn't it possible that he took material out of eternity that was millions and millions of years old and used that material to form the universe, to form the earth in particular. Some person, one person even suggested that maybe there's an alternative universe that God's created somewhere else. And maybe he took material out of that universe and, and uh, brought that material that was millions and millions of years old uh, into our universe to create the heavens and the earth that we have uh, here uh, now. Uh, that is possible. That's possible, and, and I say that because I believe that God can do anything he wants to do. So it's certainly possible, but it didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way. We know he didn't do that because the text doesn't allow for it. Now, could he have used material from, from eternity? He certainly could have done that, but he didn't. It, the text absolutely does not allow for that. One of the common literary devices that's used in the Bible, I've talked about this before, it's called an inclusio. And I don't want to bore you with Hebrew literary devices, but this is important to see right here because it puts everything into context. 
What, a, what an inclusio is, it's pretty simple. It's a phrase or a word uh, that's repeated at the beginning of a section, at the end of the section, and it, and it marks off that section, and usually it gives you the theme of that section. Let me give you one example. Go to the middle of your Bibles and look in Psalms chapter 118. Psalms 118, right in the very middle of your Bible. And I got there already. If you can get there, Psalms 118. Everybody there? All right, look at that first verse. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now go to the very last verse, and what does it say? It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So right there you have an occlusio. You have a repeating phrase right there. Now, that, the psalmist does that on purpose to let you know what that psalm is all about. So if, if, if he says in this inclusio, oh, go give thanks to the Lord for he, he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that tells me what that psalm is all about. It's about God's mercy, and it's about giving God thanks for all the time that he's delivered us and he's shown us mercy. Now, we're not going to read the psalm, but you go back and read that psalm later on, and you'll see that that's exactly what Psalm 118 is all about. Now, going back to Genesis, uh, Moses, I don't have any doubt, used and inclusio, writing by the inspiration of God, in this beginning chapter of Genesis, he used it to mark off the creation into seven sections. And uh, he had this one phrase that he used over and over again uh, to do that. Uh, uh, look at it. You see it at the end of verse number five. You see this inclusio. You see uh, what he says there. He says, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Go down to verse number six, or I'm sorry, verse number uh, eight. So the evening and the morning were the second day. You go down to verse number 13. So the evening and the morning were the third day. You go down to verse 19. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. You go down to verse 23. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And then you go to the very last verse of this chapter, verse number 31, and you see so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So it's clear here, if you look at this, that chapter one is divided into six sections of the six days of creation. And each one of these are marked off by the same inclusio, so that evening and the morning were day one, they were day two, they were day three, they were day four, they were day five, they were day six. So based upon that obvious pattern, let me ask you a question. When did verse one happen? Did it happen on the second day? Did it happen millions and millions of years ago? Based upon that mark off that we're given there, when did it happen? It all happened on the very first day. The first day of the same week in which Adam and Eve were created because they were created on the sixth day. On the very first day, God spoke into existence the material world uh, that uh, which he would, the material that he would use to shape uh, the earth. Now, look at the wording of that inclusio. It says that the evening and the morning, you see that on every one of these. What's he telling us when he says the evening and the morning? He's telling us that every one of these days was what kind of day? It was a 24-hour day. So it doesn't allow for thousands and thousands of years or millions and millions of years or billions and billions of years. It is every section here refers to one 24-hour day day. 
Now, with that mind in mind, go to verse number one. Let's read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When did he do it? Which section did he do it in? He did it on the first day. In the beginning, God created. We talked about that word created. It is the word bara in the Hebrew. And it only refers to the creation, only used in Hebrew to refer to God creating something. And how does he create? He creates out of nothing. So he didn't bring some material out of eternity uh, or from some other alternate universe that was millions and millions of years old. By his word out of nothing, he spoke and it was created. In the beginning, God created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. Now, what is he talking about when he talks about the heavens here in verse number one? Well, we don't see the stars or the sun or the moon created until the fourth day. So he's talking about space here. He's talking about the first heaven and the second heaven. In Hebrew, there are three heavens. The third heaven is where the Lord lives. Then there's the, the created heavens, the first heaven and the second heaven. The first heaven is the atmosphere above the earth. The second heaven is outer space. So when he says he created the heavens and the earth, then that means that he created outer space and he created our atmosphere. But he hadn't yet created the stars. He hadn't, and watch this real carefully. He hasn't yet created the moon and he hasn't yet created the sun. He doesn't do that until the fourth day. Now, then... Uh, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then look at verse number two. And he says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, when you talk about the deep, we're talking about the waters there, deep waters. That's always the way that word is used in the Hebrew. So, so the earth was without form and darkness was on the face of all of these waters. And you can't picture the earth as the earth is now. That's not the way it was. It says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face. What's, what's predominant right here? He's hovering over the face of these waters. Uh, and as I pointed out last week, uh, in the Hebrew, this verse begins with a conjunction wa. And so really it should say, and the earth, the earth that was created in verse number one, when, when God spoke it out of nothing, those conjunctions tie all of this creation together in in verse, in chapter number one, you'll see the conjunction wa over and over and over and over again. And it's meant to tie this six day creation into one great creation event. And it all ties it together. So verse one is tied to verse number two and there's no gap there. And the earth was without form. So God created it out of nothing and it had no form and it was void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And here you got the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. All right, now. Uh, so here's what Moses is telling us here. Well, you've got this earth that's created out of nothing. And uh, it's created without form. And it's void. It's shapeless. Uh, if, uh, in the Hebrew, that's tohu wabohu. So it actually rhymes. There's some literary device being used right there. And, then he, and so here you have the earth, this hunk of unformed mass, and it's hung out in space, submerged in water, all by itself, and it's in complete darkness. There's a picture there being painted for us. It's almost like a mother's womb. 
God has this matter submerged in water, and he's about, as the father, or almost as a mother, a picture of a mother here, he's about to form the earth. You know, I also see, I see a spiritual picture right here. Because before you and I were born again, we were without form and we were void. We were in total darkness before God began to do his creative work in us. And so here you got this lump of clay and the potter's hand, you could say in the mother's womb, and God begins to form it into shape. And that tells me, now here you got this picture, all, only thing in outer space hanging out there is the earth. What does that tell you about the earth? You know, I, I hear evolutionary scientists say, you know, Christians are arrogant. You know, they believe that the earth is the most important piece of matter uh, in outer space. Well, I've got news for you. It is. It is. And let me tell you why it is. Because it's the place where God began his creation. It's the place where he placed his children, where he placed the, the part of his creation that he created in his own image, the human race. It's the place where he's going to come and dwell for eternity. So there might be hundreds or millions or billions of alternative universes with hundreds of billions of, of galaxies and hundreds of billions of planets in each galaxy. But the most important piece of matter in all of space, where all of creation began, was the earth. And so uh, it's, a, it's a really special place. But look at, what's ha look at what happens here. He says, and the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And, and, and so you have this picture of God ready to do his creative work. Now, I can hear the hyper-Trinitarians right here saying, oh, look, here we have the, the spirit doing his work in creation. A third of the work was done by the spirit. A third of the work was done by the son. A third of the work was done by the father. Uh, and that's the picture. Uh, 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 and in one respect, it is true. We do see the third person of the Trinity at work here. But where that, what they fail to recognize is that this third person of the Trinity is the spirit of Jesus Christ. We know that. Let me show you why we know that. Go back, go back to the Gospel of John and look at chapter number one. We've talked about this several times when we, whenever we refer to creation. But I want you to read it today as we look at it. Look at the Gospel of John. And look at verse number one, chapter one, verse number one. Very familiar passage. We, we quote it all the time. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Who's the word? Jesus Christ. And, and with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, and watch this. All things were made through him and without him. Without Jesus Christ, nothing was made that was made. Now, nothing means what in the, in the Greek? It means nothing. What's all mean in the Greek? It means all. Paul tells us the same thing if you go back towards Revelation to the book of Colossians. Look in Colossians chapter number 1. And look in... Verse number 16, for by him, how many things? All things. All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, all, what's all mean in the Greek? All were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And so everything was created that was created by Jesus Christ. Well, if Jesus is creator, now going back to Genesis, if he's the creator, then why does it say that the spirit was hovering over the waters, ready to do the creation? Because Jesus is a man. He's a man. He's limited by space. He's a man. He's a glorified man. But he's like us. He's limited by space. So how does he create? He creates by his spirit, the spirit of Christ. And I got to tell you, the spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's involved, but really this is Christ doing this creation. I want you to see that. All right, now let's go to verse number three, Genesis chapter one, back to Genesis one and verse number three. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Really profound statement right there. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Now, if you look at your Bibles there in Genesis, you're going to see this phrase over and over again. Then God said, God said, what's said being? He spoke, God spoke, and when God spoke, it was. In verse number, in verse number three, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Look at verse number six. Then God said, let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the, from the waters. And it was. Verse number 11, verse number 14, verse number 20, verse number 24, verse number 26. Over and over again, we're told that God said, and when God said, it was. Let there be light and there was light. And so clearly what is God telling us right here? How did he create the universe in which we live. How did he create us? By his word. He said, and it was. That means he created the universe out of nothing. That's exactly what we see in the rest of the Bible. Go with me to the very middle of your Bible again, back to Psalms, and look in Psalms verse, chapter number 33. We, I read this or quoted it last week, but I wanted you to see it again. Look at, look at Psalm Psalms chapter 33, and look down at verse number 6. It's real clear. can't be any clearer than this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them, the host, all the stars, by the breath of his mouth. Now, that's pretty amazing that he could create this universe by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear, fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. In other words, he spoke and it was. He said, let there be light. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse number, uh, verse number 3. He said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be light. And there was light. What's light? You ever, you ever thought about what light is? Well, we know it's a form of energy. Scientists tell us that it's uh, uh, 
the energy of the electromagnetic, uh, of electromagnetic radiation, which is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, and from that spectrum, we get visible light, invisible light, uh, and uh, we get uh, uh, radiational and gravitational forces are part of the electromagnetic spectrum. So it's real clear that when God said, let there be light on that first day, he also brought shape and motion uh, and gravity because the, the gra gravity is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And so he brought shape and motion and gravity to our planet. And then look at what he does here. He says, and uh, he said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. And so he separates the darkness from the light. And it's interesting here because he calls the light good. But notice, he doesn't call the darkness good. But surpri surprisingly to some people, he doesn't call the darkness bad. He doesn't say the light is good and the darkness is bad. Why? Because darkness is neutral. It's neutral. It's not bad. Now, I know what you're thinking. What about spiritual darkness? Spiritual darkness is bad. Because in, in spiritual darkness, what's, what's, what's so bad about spiritual darkness? Spiritual darkness is the absence of God. But here we are in the creation, and we've got light and darkness, but God is not absent. Now, he's not absent in the day, and he's not absent at night. I mean, it's not, I mean, in the world in which we live now, I mean, God's not around in the day when you go at night, you've you got the devil and you don't have God. God is always there. We're going to see that here in a little bit as we, as we expand this thought even more. So, so when he says the light is good, the reason the light is good is because he, he was planning on creating, and he did, uh, living beings who had eyes and could see that light, and light that light that he created made things visible to his, the living beings of his creation. But darkness is not bad. In fact, in Isaiah 45, 7, the Lord says, I form the light and I create the darkness. So I form the light and I create the darkness. And I believe Isaiah, no doubt, was speaking of this first day of creation when he spoke those words. Now, so, so dark, the darkness of space isn't a bad thing because God is present there and he is good. And... Uh, he made us to be able to see his light. All right, now, let's go to verse number five. Listen to what he says in verse number five. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Again, you've got this first day of creation. It's clearly a 24-hour day. We have no doubt about that. And there was light uh, in the day, and there was darkness at night, just like it is now. You have light in the day, you have darkness in the night. A big problem, though. We've got a serious problem right here. Because the sun hasn't been created yet. The sun is not created until the fourth day. So where does this light come from? I mean, we know that the main source for our light, uh, you go outside, the main sor sor source for our light is what? The main source is the sun at night. It's a reflection of the sun uh, off the moon. And so that's how we get our light. Uh, and here, there's another problem with this order of creation. The plants were created on the third 
day. So you got the plants that are created on the third day. And if you know anything about plants, sunlight is necessary. Plants can't live without sunlight. So how were they? And, and this really blows away any this 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 day age theory that somehow there were thousands and thousands of years of gaps. In, or, or thousands, these days are really thousands of years or millions of years, and they're not they're not literal 24-hour days because plants can't live for millions and millions of years without some sort of light. So you've got the plants that are created on the third day, and sunlight is necessary for the process of photosynthesis. And it's by, through the process of photosynthesis that the plants produce sugar that gives uh, energy for life on earth. And so it's almost like you have to have the sun in order for the plants to live and in order to have any sorts of light on earth. So where did they get, the plants get the light to live if the sun hadn't been created? And uh, how could there be light on earth and the sun's not created until the fourth day. And this is where the evolutionists come to the, the Genesis account, and they laugh at it. They say, look at the order of this. It's not scientific. Well, let's talk about the, their theory for a minute. The evolutionaries' theory. It's, theirs makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? I mean, you stop and think about it. I mean, which came first? The eye or visible light. I mean, the evolutionists believe that everything is hit and miss until it gets it right. Oh, so you have visible light. Why would you have visible light if there's no eye to see the light? Uh, how could you, why would you have, if the eye came first, why would you develop this eye and have no visible light? Well, their theory is that in this explosion that came about in the Big Bang, that light was created or was the result, the, the offshoot of this great explosion. And then over millions and millions of years, uh, the eye developed. And I, I, first of all, I'm not an expert on light, and I'm not trying to teach a science class here, but you go study light. Light is an amazing thing. The electromagnetic spectrum is an amazing thing. It all has to be there together at once. It can't develop over time. And you look at the eye. Let's say, let's say they're right. Let's say, let's say that light was part of this, uh, an offshoot of this big bang that took place millions or billions of years ago, depending on what scientists you're talking about. So let's say millions of years ago. Well, how did that eye develop? Uh, I mean, you stop and think about it. They say, well, you know, this tadpole got two warts on the top of his head, and over time those warts turned to eyes again. Look at the makeup of an eye, and you tell me that an eye developed. And I got to, here's the other question. How did that tadpole see to eat, to find food, if he didn't have any eyes? How did he see to procreate if he didn't have any eyes? I mean, he's, he, he couldn't find a beautiful tadpole if he didn't have any eyes. To, I mean, he's looking around in that primordial slime for, for a beautiful tadpole to mate with. He couldn't find her if he didn't have any eyes. See, creation, if you look at the creation, the whole creation, and, and you look at the way it's set up, it all has to be in place, or most of it has to be in place together all at once for it to work. Dr. Michael Behe, who's an who's a MD microbiologist, wrote a great book called Darwin's Black Books. It 
black box. If you ever get a chance to, to read that book, it's a good read. He's not a Christian, but he definitely believes in, in an intelligent designer. And, and what he, his whole book is based upon the study of the human cell. And, and he, he, he takes this study of the cell and he shows all of these manufacturing plants that are in the cell. There's these thousands and thousands of th- work plants that are doing their work on a daily basis, on a, a second by second basis. And they all have to be in place together at once for the cell to function. So there's no way, he says there's no way in, in, in infinity that this could happen by accident. It, it requires an intelligent designer. And so the problem with order isn't with the creationists. The problem with order is with the evolutionists. That's where, the real, that's where their real problem is. I mean, how did you, how did you, how did they, how did living creatures develop sex glands at the same time to, to reproduce? You've got to reproduce for these millions and millions of tadpoles over millions and millions of years to develop eyes. How did they reproduce if they, didn't, they weren't created with sex glands? It, re, it requires, all of this has to be created together for it to work. That's why you have a six-day creation like we see in the Word of God. But here's the problem. Where did that light come from when God said, let there be light, and there was light? Where did it come from? Well, the answer is simple, real simple, but it's very complex. It came from God himself because God is light. we told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he is eternal light in which there is no darkness. That's why he had to create the darkness. That's why Isaiah said he created the darkness. And so in him there is no darkness. All other light, but other than God's light, is created light. You could call it artificial light. A light bulb is created by, who creates the light bulb? God didn't create light bulbs. Edison created the first light bulb. A light bulb is a creation of man. Now, the light bulb uses light waves that God created, but the light bulb itself is a creation of of man. You look at the sun, and the sun is really artificial light. The sun is this this mass of energy, but it hasn't existed forever. It's not an eternal light. The sun, as we talked about a few weeks back, is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. In fact, one of the cases for a young earth is if the sun was billions and billions of years old, like these scientists tell you, it would have been so big, it would, be burning, it would have burned up the earth and there would be no earth. And so it, it's placed in its perfect place when we see this place there by God. But it is a created light. It's not an eternal light. Uh, it's created by God. Now, the light that emanates from God will never go out. We know that. It's an eternal light. It's not an artificial light. And uh, that's the light that you see right here on the first day of creation. As God's presence entered his creation and the whole earth was full of his glory. He brought his light to this planet and to this universe and to space. 
and the whole earth, the whole universe, was full of his glory. Now, here's what I want you to see. This universe is still full of his glory. It's a light we don't see, but it's here. The universe is full of his glory. Why don't we see it? Because sin has blinded our eyes. And it's blinded our physical eyes. And so we can't see the glory of God. Now you study your Bible and on occasion there were cases where men and women or men, mainly the Bible's about men. I'm sure some women did too, but where, where men saw, actually saw the glory of God. Well, there is a case I can show you where both man and woman saw the glory of God. Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve lived on this earth before they fell, they lived in the very visible presence of God. I mean, God's presence was so, his glory was so, uh, uh, they were so aware of his glory that when they sinned and God took away that vision they had of his glory and they blinded them because of their sin and they died spiritually, they realized that that glory was not there anymore and they realized that they were naked. They were full of his glory too. And so uh, uh, Adam and Eve saw his glory. Remember Isaiah, he, he had that vision. He saw the Lord lifted high and up and he saw his glory. Uh, but we still can see his glory today. Now, how do we see it? Well, God is also, he's, God is light, but God is love. And God is truth. And God is righteousness. And so, maybe our physical eyes won't be open to the presence of God's glory. But when we're saved, our spiritual eyes are open to God's glory. And when we're saved, basically the same process takes place. God says, let there be light, and there is light. And basically what God does, he opens our spiritual eyes to see his glory. You can't see it with our our physical eyes, but we can see it emanating through his love and his truth and his righteousness. And if you want to see the glory of God, all you have to do is come to God, come into his presence in Jesus Christ, and you will see his glory. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples before uh, he was crucified. Go with me over to John chapter 12. Listen to what he says here. He says in verse number 35, he says, Then Jesus said to them, I mean, John chapter 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. In other words, they were walking in the light of God in the presence of Jesus Christ. And and in his truth and in his love and in his righteousness, They were seeing the light of God. They were seeing the physical body of God. And so Jesus says to them, a little 
while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And then he who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Now, he's talking about spiritual darkness here because obviously every person uh, benefits from sunlight. We all can see. We all, when we're in the sun, we all can see. But spiritually, you're going to be walking in, the, in darkness if you're not walking in his light. Listen to what he says in verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light. You want to see the light of God, then you've got to believe in the light of God. Believe that you may become sons of light. What do you do to become a son of light or a daughter of light? You simply believe. And when you believe, then you see the light. You're no longer walking in darkness. You're walking in truth. You're walking in love. And you're walking in righteousness. And that requires a miracle every bit as big as the miracle in Genesis chapter 1 where God said, let there be light. You have to be changed into a son or daughter of light in order to see that light, in order to see the righteousness of God, in order to feel the love of God, in order to see the very truth of God. So what Jesus goes on, go, go flip over to chapter 14 and listen to what the Lord says there in verse number 19, just a next chapter, couple chapters over. He says, a little while longer, that same phrase there, and the world will see me no more, but you can still see me. You can still see me. See my light, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. Because you will have that light living in you, and you will see me through truth, and you will see me through my righteousness, and you will see me through my love. All right, now, what's he mean when he says you can become a son and daughter of light? So hang right where we're at right now in John. But what's he mean by that? Just as I said earlier, the same miracle, the exact same miracle, or not the exact same miracle, but it requires the same power of God. That same miracle that took place on the first day of creation has to take place in your heart. See, here's why I struggle with people that don't want to believe the literal account of Genesis. If God can't create the universe by his word, then how can he change you into a son of, or daughter of light by his word? That is every bit as much a miracle. And the bigger the sinner you are, the more you realize what a miracle it is. I mean, listen to, go, go over to, the reason I told you to hang there, just go over a few books over to First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter uh, 4, and Paul relates the salvation expense, experience to the, to the uh, creation over in 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 6. Listen to what he says. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's the miracle that we're looking at in Genesis right now. Who is shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, again, it's the, same, it's the same God using the same power to bring light to the universe that brings light into our soul, that changes us into a son and daughter of light. And 
And then at that point, we're able to see the glory of God in our midst. We're able to see the glory of God in our life. You don't, you don't see it with your physical eyes. Now, I believe if God opened your eyes right now, it's right here. And I think it would change our lives. I mean, I know it changed my life because I did get a short momentary vision of that light of God. And it changed my life but because I understood that no matter where I went, no matter what I did, God's presence was going to be with me. I mean, when I'm in my closet, I know the Lord's there. My closet is dark. And from the standpoint, there's no artificial light. They're lighting up my closet. But the light of God is there. And the light of God is flowing through me every bit as much then when I'm in my closet as, as when I saw that light out in the desert. And, and, and in this room right now, God's light is flowing through this room. You leave this room and you go home and you're in your car and God's light is there. And, and we don't see that light, but we experience that light through his love. We experience that light through his truth. That's why his word is considered a lamp unto my feet, the psalmist said, because it is light. It's the light of God, and it is righteousness. It's the righteousness that you have flowing through you is light. It's the light of God. It, it's what perfects you. You don't perfect yourself. God perfects you. And so all of this light that uh, came into the world and the universe comes flooding into your soul and my soul when we're saved. And because this light is everywhere, God's light, I mean, this world is getting pretty dark. And the more and more depraved, I mean, you saw what happened in, the, in Lafayette this past week. We're gonna, they're going to have a drag queen uh, reading hour for three-year-olds three to six-year-olds. How sick is that? But let me tell you what. That doesn't push away God's light. God light God's light is still there. In the midst of that darkness, God's light is still there. If anybody will turn to that light, they will see that light. But men don't turn to that light because they don't want that light. Jesus hit it on the nail. Remember what he said in John 3.19. He said, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. And, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They don't want the light. Now, and, and, and if you ask an evil person, or you tell an evil person you're living in darkness, they'll say, oh, no, look at the sun, how brightly it's shining. Look at all these lights in this room. I'm not living in darkness. Oh, yes, you are. Your soul is as dark as as this universe was until God said, let there be light. The, pre the God's light is right there, and all you have to do to, to find that light is to come to that light, but uh, and, and until you do, all the light you will walk in will be uh, artificial light. It won't be the true light of God. You know what? When we were in Revelation, I think one of the most amazing things and one of the most encouraging things in the book of Revelation is chapter 22 of Revelation, and that part in Revelation, flip with me there over to Revelation chapter 22. Go back to where we were a few weeks ago. This concept of no artificial light whatsoever. Look at, because there's not going to be any need of any artificial light in heaven. Look at, look at verse number 5 of chapter 22. There shall be no night there. No night. They, now, there might be places where there's darkness, but there won't be any night. 
They, they need no lamp nor light of the sun. They, you don't need any light bulbs. We, we, you know, in, in their culture, it was a lamp. In ours, it's light bulbs. There, there's not going to be any light bulbs in heaven. Uh, and there's not going to even be a need for the sun in heaven, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. And we can experience that light now. I mean, all we have to do to experience that light is come to that light. And when we come to that light, then God opens our spiritual eyes and we see him in his love and his truth and his righteousness. That's as far as we're going to get today. This past uh, week, actually it was Thursday, I celebrated 29 years, August the 23rd, 1989. 29 years of being saved, being in Christ. And the way that happened, you know, we have very little to do with our salvation experience. I mean, God chased me down. I mean... I'm talking about a wretched sinner. He chased me down out in the desert. And when I turned to him and I said, Lord, help. He spoke those words. Let there be light. And there was light. And I can remember that experience. I mean, just like it was yesterday, even though it was 29 years ago. And I, I you know, at first, it was the visible light that I saw out there. I mean, that was a miracle, and it was, it was, it was you know, amazing. But that wasn't the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing was the love that I felt flowing through my soul as God's light flooded my soul. The truth that flooded my soul. I mean, that's his light. I can remember, I mean, I, I grew up in the Baptist church and, and you know, was baptized in the Baptist church when I was 13 years old and, and had parents who were strong Christians. They took us to church all the time and, 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 I, and memorized Bible verses, but I was lost as a goose. And I believed about half of what I read in this Bible. But I can remember on that day, August the 23rd, 1989, knowing in my heart, that every word of this Bible is true. As that truth flooded through my soul. I knew who God is. I knew that God is none other than Jesus Christ. I knew that. I always thought of Jesus Christ as some lesser God, some son of God. Not as almighty God, but that day I knew he was almighty God. And I remember... Here I was, and my life was in such a mess. I mean, I was sinking deep in sin, as deep as you can get. It was right here. And I, I, what I, I remember as much as anything was the righteousness that flooded my soul. The perfection that God gave me on August the 23rd, 1989. The perfection, I mean, you look at me and you say, you don't look so perfect to me. But 
He perfected me forever that day when I received Jesus Christ. Now, do I, does that mean I don't sin? No, certainly I still sin. Not proud of it, but I still sin. But that perfection that God gave me out there when he flooded me with his light, he will never take away. You know, that same experience happens for every believer who gets saved. Isaiah puts it like this in Isaiah 9 too. He says, those who have walked in great darkness have seen of even greater light. And that's what happens to every, everybody. When The moment you get saved, you're flooded with that light of God. God says, let there be light, and there is light. And you are flooded with truth, you're flooded with righteousness, and you're filled with his love. If you haven't experienced that, if you've never experienced the light of God in your soul, I mean, you can be religious and you can know about the Bible like I knew about the Bible. And, and you can call yourself a Christian. But until that light of God overcomes that darkness in your soul, you're still not saved. But all you have to do is come to the light. Come to the light and he will say, let there be light and there will be light. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, it's by your grace that you save us. It's by your, your, your power, Lord, the same power that you use on that first day of creation to bring light into this world. You've brought light into our very souls. Father, we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that we can see your light through your truth, through your righteousness. Lord, that we can feel that light by the love that you show us every day. Lord, your word tells us that we're to let our light so shine among men that they can see that light in us. So, Lord, I just ask today that all of us who are drifted away from you, Lord, who aren't experiencing your presence in a way that, that we should, Lord, because of the darkness we've allowed into our lives. Lord, help us to open our hearts again so that we're just filled to a point of overflowing, just filled with your light, Lord. Lord, and when we have that light, we know truth, we're aware of our righteousness, and we feel your great love. Father, I just ask that there's anyone here today who, who pretends to be a Christian, Lord, but they've never experienced a day where, a moment, Lord, where you've totally changed their life and opened their spiritual eyes. I ask today that, that this be the day that they open their hearts to receive your light. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for just the way you bless us. And, Lord, help us to be a blessing to you. Help us to be a blessing to those around us. We just ask for all of that by your power. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.